Well, welcome to another edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. It is the first Tuesday in November. And so since it's the first Tuesday in November, you know what that means. Coming up exactly one year from today, we will have another presidential election in the books. And there are certain things about presidential elections. We're going to get into a lot of different, uh, I think they call it in the industry, they call it the psychographics of how people vote. And the psychographic part literally means, you know, demographic is just basic information. How old are you? Where do you live? Male or female? I'll tell you that. that that's just, you know, the, the, the basics. Uh, psychographic is how people think and what they feel and how they identify. And so there are many people who are not, I mean, who have same affiliations, whether it be political or religious or whatever it is, that are in uh, kind of in the same psychographic, even though they might be in different demographics, for example. And so I've got a story about voter fraud that is well worth looking into, uh, uh, <laughs> looking into because so many people have been talking about the 2020 presidential election and the incidences of voter fraud that allegedly happened. And I, uh, my position on this as, is as it's always has been. I don't believe it, the election was stolen per se. You know, the big steal that Donald Trump was talking about that's gotten him into so much trouble with these different states all across the country. But rather that there was a rigging that went on that started in 2019. Um, actually, it's been going on for many, many years, but it really intensified when uh, Democrats took control of the House of Representatives again. And they had H.R. 1, their resolution, and the first thing they wanted to, to do was to move uh, voting into uh, a mail-in you know, situation because they knew on the surface Democrats typically will vote, are more likely to vote early and to vote using the mail than Republicans are, so that would give them an advantage at the polls. But also, if you could make voting by mail mandatory, then that meant that no longer were people getting um, you know, the sample ballot in the mail. Every voter who was registered would wind up getting uh, a ballot that was live, if you will, in the mail, and that leaves the door wide open for voter fraud. I mean, it doesn't matter which party you are. I mean, California passed a uh, ballot harvesting bill back in 2016, I think, for the 2018 midterms, and, uh, and it served Democrats very, very well. They picked up five or six uh, House seats that they probably would not have gotten had they not driven to people's houses and uh, picked up the ballots, filled them in for them. And uh, it, I'm just assuming that's what they did. I, I can't imagine that they might find something in the trash or have gone through someone's mailbox. I mean, you know, geez, I, aren't all mailboxes locked? You mean the ones in front of people's homes aren't locked? So if a ballot, an actual ballot that you could basically apprehend, commandeer and vote off of just happened to show up and it, you know, the gust of wind came by and blew it out of someone's mailbox and into your car what would you do? Would you feel, I mean, Ron DeSantis in Florida signed a bill recently that said, if you are in the possession of more than one ballot, and we're talking not husband and wife at the same residence, but I mean, if you've got, you've got a ballot with your name on it and you got a ballot with somebody else's name on it, it's, it's like a, it's a crime. I don't know if it's a felony, but it's at least it's a misdemeanor uh, to have that. And I, I share this story often during election season, but it's well worth noting. Uh, that I had a, a pastor friend of mine who had lived overseas, came back to the States, and he and his wife bought a condo in a beach community. And they bought a condo, I think, believe it was at a state sale, so the dad had passed away and the kids sold the condo. But for whatever reason, um, all the election materials still kept coming to the house. And this happened for like a decade. 
you know, apparently when someone passes away, um, if you don't notify the registrar of voters, then it, it doesn't get cleaned up. I know here in the Southland, there have been something like a million different names that have been taken off of voter rolls um, because of the fact that uh, the, the people had moved out of the area, they'd moved from one county to the next, or they just passed away and they're not eligible to vote anymore. Uh, Tom Fitton at Judicial Watch just recently uh, posted a meme where he said that they've been able to su successfully get uh, 4 million, what he called dirty names, off of voting rosters. And it, 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 you might think, well, that does seem a little, you know, severe. I mean, aren't they really making a big deal out of the, the dead name voting and this, that, and the other thing? Take into consideration, if you will, there's a website that I found very helpful during the pandemic. It's called worldpopulationreview.com. And they just measure numbers of people and things like that. So when we were looking for updated info on how many cases of COVID had been reported and how many people have been hospitalized and, and how many people wound up dying as a result of having you know, dying with COVID as opposed to dying from COVID, worldpopulationreview.com had that information. So, and, you know, if you want to know what the world population is, they've got it as well. So I punched in uh, registered voters by party, and this is the first one that came up. And it was very interesting. You might be surprised to learn, or maybe you won't that the top four states based on registered voters are California, Florida, New York, Pennsylvania, and then North Carolina. Now, here's the reason why. This is where the numbers get a little dicey. Not every state reports information about their voters. Just like uh, we, we talk about here in the People's Republic of California, how many people uh, you know wind up going for abortions in California? It's, it's several hundred thousand apparently every year. But we don't know the true number of how many babies are aborted every year in California because California officials don't release that information. Now, they have no trouble releasing the information of the fact that more than half of the state's population are registered voters. And the motor voter law really pumped that up. In the 2016 election, there were about 18 million Californians who were registered to vote. They passed the motor voter law. And in spite of the fact that there's been a net decrease in population in California, in the decade of the 2010s, it was 700,000. Last year, another 350,000 people left California. Now, I don't know how many people moved in, so what the net migration is. But California keeps losing people, and yet we keep gaining registered voters. Kind of interesting. Um, California, according to World Population Review, has just a hair under 22 million people who are registered to vote in a state with 39 million residents. Pretty impressive. Uh, as you might imagine, half of them are registered Democrats and half of that total are registered Republicans. Uh, there's another million or so. It's 10 million Democrats, 5 million Republicans. There's another million or so who are just in other parties. But where it gets dicey here is 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. There's about a third of the country does not report their voting information including a state like Texas. You would think that population-wise, since California is the big kahuna and Texas is number two, that they would have the second highest number of registered voters. But they don't participate in the survey, so you have to surmise how many people are voting. So I know we're doing a little analysis, balance, and clarity here. This is according to World Population Review as of August 2023. The number of registered Democrats in the United States is approximately 49 million. The number of registered Republicans is approximately 39 million. So 49 and 39, 88. 88 million people have major party affiliations. Remember how many people voted in the 2020 presidential election? 
Donald Trump came in second with 74 million votes and Joe Biden came in first with 81 million. That means a total of 81, 74, 155 million votes were cast. But according to the most accurate data, only 88 million people who voted actually had a major party affiliation, whether Republican or Democrat. That means a couple of things. First of all, we're not getting the total total picture because the information that I just shared with you about how many people are Republican and how many people are Democrat, um, those numbers are incomplete because a third of America does not release that information. For example, uh, Montana uh, is a state where they not only don't release that information, they have open primaries and they do not ask a voter who is registered to vote to declare a party affiliation. So as a result, Montana theoretically has a better chance of getting voter participation because they don't force people into a box. California is messed up. California, you know, if you try to do anything with your car or your driver's license, the motor voter law says you have to settle up your registration through the DMV first and foremost, number one. Number two, you have to choose a party. And if they list them all uh, alphabetically, then guess who's going to get more people than not? You know, the American Independent is listed as a party, but how many people register for American Independent thinking that just means they don't want to pick a party? But if you don't pick a party, now you have no party affiliation, and the rules of the California GOP are that you can't vote in a Republican primary. So, I mean, there's, there's all sorts of crazy rules. But here's the total that World Population Survey does estimate as the number of people who are registered voters in the United States. 210 million. So they're able to surmise from national records and national archives how many people are registered to vote in national elections. But only 88 million of them have a major party affiliation. Can you understand now why it's so important to reach the middle, the undecided, the people who say I'm independent or I'm one of those peace and freedom or green parties or whatever? It's hugely important. And the idea that there are quote-unquote red states and blue states is a little silly when you think about the fact that the vast majority of Americans don't have that. 40% of Americans don't play the major party uh, politic game. But we do have a case here of election fraud that actually turned up and a judge in Connecticut has actually overturned an election because he said the, uh, the tampering, if you will, The evidence presented to him about voter fraud in this election was, and I'm using his words, shocking. On the other side of this break, I want to walk through what election fraud really looks like. You know, the the, bald faced, uh, naked eye type of stuff that they're dealing with. It was a uh, um, it was a mayoral race in Bridgeport, Connecticut. And it's really a trip to walk through how this voter fraud unfolded and how it finally went before a judge and the judge ruled. Yeah, we got to throw this thing out and start over again. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years? 
After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to the Super Tuesday edition of The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh of Christians Are Gathering uh, organizing uh, voting parties and getting people to sign up to vote. Uh, churches like uh, Calvary Chapel Chino Hills are doing uh, ballot harvesting. I was reading in the Christian Post the other day that uh, uh, Jack Hibbs's church actually collected 20,000 ballots for the 2022 midterms. And trust me, if you are a Christian and you look at the two major parties, you may be feeling like, well, I really don't have anywhere to go. The Republicans are less disgusting than the Democrats are, especially when we think of Eric Johnson, the, for, the mayor of Dallas, former Democrat mayor of Dallas, who changed party affiliations this fall because he just said, I can't back up this party anymore. In a large blue city, this is a guy who's wildly popular. 98% of the vote went to him in the last election, his reelection campaign. But he said, I can't support the Democrat party anymore. But I know there are a lot of believers who say, well, I don't have a party preference. And the, the numbers bear out, according to worldpopulationreview.com, 40% of American voters do not have a party affiliation. You are no party preference. You pick policies over personalities. Um, you, you know, the, the, the principles over politics. I mean, it, and, I, and it's a good decision. I'm in that camp. My wife's in that camp. My sister's in that camp. A lot of people are. You know, show, show me why I should vote for this based on my biblical, biblical values, not because there's a donkey or an elephant next to the guy's name. There's a lamb next to my name when I vote. Okay, so there was a lot of talk of widespread voter fraud in 2020, and it did happen. There were laws that were, but it wasn't so much stuffing of ballot boxes per se. I know Dinesh D'Souza had his, what, 2,000 mules uh, movie or whatever, 200 mules, and uh, showed how the, uh, the, the, the ballot harvesting scam works. But there were a lot of laws that were passed that were passed illegally, over 300 of them from 2019 to 2020. And some of them had a direct impact on the national election. Some of them did not. 2022 was relatively scandal-free in that regard, other than the fact that uh, the Democrat Party is using a scare tactic by saying anything that you vote for Republican-wise uh, means that your democracy is at risk. Abortion was overturned, Roe versus Wade, thrown out because of Dobbs versus Jackson, and the Democrats used that to campaign on, and their party is so ignorant that they would believe that that was really the case. They would, if you look at, and again, I, I, I'm not saying this to be sarcastic or facetious or malicious. If you look at the case history of leftist Democrat judges who made up law about same-sex, quote-unquote, marriage and gay rights and things like that, uh, and have done th so historically, the idea that the U.S. Supreme Court, based on a very constitutionally driven decision to overturn Roe versus Wade, was somehow now out to get you and undermine democracy is just sheer lunacy. And uh, trust me, if there were a Democrat majority, I mean, I said the same sheer lunacy thing about these little appellate court justices that would basically rewrite marriage law based on the fact that they had one case of a photographer who said, I will not take pictures of two guys having a quote unquote wedding reception. But here's a primary election in Bridgeport, Connecticut. They were voting for the next mayor of Bridgeport. This happened on uh, September the 12th. And 
not to cater to one party or the other, but this was the Democrat primary for the race to become the next mayor. It included thousands of absentee ballots. And one of the candidates, a guy by the name of John Gomes, presented evidence that he said indicated that some of the ballots were cast fraudulently. Now, Connecticut state law enables absentee voting, but it's got a lot of different rules. One of the absentee voting rules is that a person who helps distribute more than five absentee applications must register with the town clerk as a distributor. So again, they're okay with ballot harvesting. They're okay with ballot distribution. You just have to register with the city and make sure that everybody knows that that's what you do. So the Democrat Party was endorsing Mayor Joe Gannum, who is currently in office, and a woman called Wanda Geeter Pataki, works for the city of Bridgeport and she's a big supporter of Mayor Joe Gannum. So she and someone called Inaida Martinez uh, were distributing ballots and they were doing so illegally. Now, if you are going to be a ballot harvesting person, you have to sign up in Bridgeport to let everybody know you're doing that. If you're going to assist a voter by helping them fill out the ballot or by taking it in and do the mailing, if you're not designated by an absentee voter to drop off the ballot for the absentee voter, then you don't get to do it. I wonder, I mean, in all honesty, I haven't looked that deeply into California's ballot harvesting law, but it just seems like anybody could do it. Well, apparently... Remember the law, if you are going to distribute more than five absentee applications, you have to register with the town clerk as a distributor. You have to let them know that you're a distributor, that then you can sign applications for people if you're going to assist voters, and you have to be designated as an absentee voter that can drop off absentee ballots. So Wanda Jeter Pataki and Anita Martinez were captured on video dropping off multiple absentee ballots on multiple occasions into drop boxes. So when the video evidence was presented, you know, the whole 2,000 mules type of thing, they took the Fifth Amendment and said they weren't going to vote, testify to incriminate themselves. So Connecticut Superior Court Judge William Clark issued a statement last week, November 1st, or yeah, that was no, last Wednesday. And he said, the conduct on the video, quote, represents multiple violations of state law governing absentee voting. So what happened? Well, remember, you've got the incumbent, Mayor Joe Gannum, running against a popular uh, challenger, John Gomes. In the primary, Mr. Gannum received 4,212 votes. Mr. Gomes received just a smidge under 4,000. But when you look at the absentee votes that actually came in, Mr. Gannum received 1,564 absentee votes, though Mr. Gomes only got 861. So the question then remains, okay, there was a huge difference in the number of absentee votes. And in all honesty, look at the fact that uh, uh, Mayor Gannum received 4,200 votes and more than a third of them came as absentee. Now, under Connecticut law, a candidate is able to ask for a new election based on, quote, a mistake in the count of votes cast or having been aggrieved by a violation of state law. So the judge did not necessarily schedule a new primary right now. 
basically, he said, that's the city council's job. And the city has to confer with Mr. Gomes to find out what the date is. Now, here's the thing. Mayor Gannam of Bridgeport has served nearly seven terms as mayor. He does not have the best track record, but for some reason, he keeps getting elected. He's actually been convicted on corruption charges. But he did testify that he was not involved in the scheme. He said, I'm shocked by the video evidence. In a statement after the video was then made public, he said he wanted to state, quote, unequivocally that I do not condone in any way actions taken by anyone, including any campaign, city or elected official, which undermines the integrity of either the electoral process or city property. But this is what Judge Clark wrote in his ruling. He said, Mr. Gannon is also correct to be shocked by the video evidence of what he saw on the video clips in evidence that were shown to him while he was on the witness stand. The videos are shocking. They're shocking to the court and they should be shocking to all parties as well. Remember, even if you're signed up, you can only take five ballots in. And here are these two women making multiple, I mean, dropping off more than five ballots and seen on video as dropping off multiple different in- infractions, if you will. The judge said in the argument, he said, I'm asking the court to, quote, ignore the significant mishandling of ballots by partisans that were caught on video flouting the mandatory provisions of Connecticut law. He also added to do so would undermine the clear intention of the statutes, which specifically prohibit such ballot contact and would endorse this blatant practice of ballot harvesting. It would also endorse the illegal conduct engaged in by these partisan actors and the improper counting of invalid votes. So Bridgeport, Bridgeport, Connecticut had a problem. Um, Election day is still going to be today. This was a primary election and the judge did not order a new uh, a new vote per se. But rather what he did is say, okay, well, we're going to let the chips fall where they will, but both these guys could be on the ballot and we'll let the voters decide who's going to be the next mayor of Bridgeport. See, isn't it interesting? I mean, some of the things you can learn about what's going on in a case that really does have election fraud. Uh, we'll talk about the ramifications of this coming up next as the bottom line continues. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. This case, fascinating case study of what election fraud really looks like, um, where you've got Connecticut law. The mayor of Bridgeport was running for re-election. He had a a challenger who was a formidable foe. Uh, Bridgeport didn't have a lot of turnout. There were 4,200 votes for uh, the the incumbent mayor and 4,000 for the one who was the challenger. But when you look at the number of ballots that were cast as absentee, And two women who are going around Bridgeport, Connecticut, illegally picking up ballots, ballot harvesting, uh, basically forging whatever information they needed to get the the mayor reelected. And then he's pleading the poor guy, oh, I I had no idea this was going on. Uh, The judge threw out the result of the primary. And this is these are Democrat contenders. But you've got a mayor who has a rap sheet on that includes uh, charges and convictions of corruption. And uh, yeah, Lord only knows. But here's the thing. The thing about this is when corruption does happen, when there's you know falsification of records and voting and things like that, we definitely need to speak up and call it out. When it's not there, we can't make it up just because you didn't like the outcome of the election. The vast majority of the bills that were passed from 2017 on through 2020 that tipped the scale in favor of the Democrat Party in 2020 
were done so because there's a whole swath of people, Republicans and Democrats, who don't want Donald Trump back in office. A lot of these people fall into the category, especially those in the body of Christ, as those who would you'd fall uh, maybe progressive Christians, as it were. People who are woke. They, they, they think that there's a, a problem with Donald Trump. Now, don't get me wrong. Character-wise, I don't like the way former President Trump handled himself, especially in the, um, in the final days of the election and then the, uh, you know, the charges that happened afterwards. I don't think it was the country's best interest. But why is it that it seems like more and more Christians are either leaving the faith or trying to make Jesus kind of woke and hip? Uh, Lucas Miles is a pastor, a broadcaster, and an author. He's written a book about why he believes this uh, wokeness is, has infiltrated the church. And he's got six different pillars, kind of similar to what Jason Jimenez did, uh, taking a look at this. But he's written a new book called Woke Jesus, The False Messiah Destroying Christianity. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And I think when you talk about social justice and equality and civil rights and things like that, we have to ask the question, are these Christian values? Well, if you read scripture, you'll see that, yes, in fact, they are. But if you see the way that the quote-unquote modern church, progressive church, takes a look at them and presents them, you have to ask the question, well, what does the Christian left believe about marriage and gender and racial equality and justice and heaven and hell and all sorts of things. Uh, Lucas does a great job. Lucas Miles does a great job of helping us understand where these folks are coming from and then also give us some marching orders as to how to speak truth into this conversation without just resorting to the same tactics that a lot of progressives do, not canceling, not destroying businesses, not you know taking to social media and disparaging people, but rather with gentleness and respect like we read about in 1 Peter 3.15. The book Woke Jesus, The False Messiah Destroying Christianity is up at thebottomlineshow.com and we do have a copy of the book to give away. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. the number to get you through to the bottom line. Uh, Lucas Miles joins me next as the bottom line continues. Been hurt in an accident and you're wondering if you should call Stephanie Cover of Cover Law. You must. That's why insurance exists to cover accidents. So you should use it. Stephanie worked in the insurance industry for over 20 years and she knows their system, how to talk to adjusters, how they think, and how to get back from them all that you've lost. That could be wages time, property, or anything else that the accident has taken from you. Every minute you wait hurts your chance to be made whole again. And Stephanie knows that the opposing insurance company is building a case against you, so time is a factor. Stephanie cares about the truth. She builds your case on a rock-solid foundation of honesty. She will give you a clear understanding of what to expect during the process, and Stephanie will ensure that the truth comes to light. If you or someone you know has been in an accident and you're not sure if you need an attorney, reach out to Stephanie Cover now at kbrightradio.com slash C-O-V-E-R. You've heard the term woke and wokeism many times before, but probably never really realized how much it has infiltrated the church, especially people who are of the evangelical mindset. And today here on The Bottom Line, I want to get into a look at what uh, Lucas Miles, author and a dear friend of mine, uh, refers to as woke Jesus and the false Messiah that's destroying Christianity. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Lucas Miles, welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. Roger, thanks for having me back on. So good to see you. 
Well, it's literally good to see you too, because I mean, oftentimes we get together and we'll record on location, but we do this for audio. But since we both have our cameras on, now we're doing this for myhopenow.com as well. Uh, Lucas Miles, a trusted voice in the American church, has consistently addressed some of the more challenging topics in theology and politics and culture. Uh, the Lucas Miles Show on Faith Wire and co-host of the Church Boys podcast for many years, author of this brand new book called Woke Jesus. Uh, you had written a book prior to this one on a similar type of topic about uh, leftism and things of that nature. Yeah. How did Woke Jesus come about out of that? Yeah, yeah, so the previous book was called The Christian Left, How Liberal Thought Has Hijacked the Church. And it was really a picture of sort of what has happened. You know, this is, uh, it, it was a little bit more of a current look. Um, and, and you know, I probably part of my writing style, I think people have come to expect this from me, is is sort of overlaying events throughout church history uh, a lot of times in the first several hundred years of Christianity with current events that we're experiencing now, uh, I, I think that there's a lot of correlations in the first several hundred years of Christianity to the to the state of the church today, uh, especially with the battle against heresies and, and you know, fights for truth and these things. Um, and so that this this new book, Woke Jesus, really was birthed out of the, as I did a book tour with the previous book, traveled all around the United States, did, you know, 250 media appearances, talking hmm. about the book. And and the thing that kept coming up was people said, but how did it get this bad? Like, this is yeah. where we're at. But they they couldn't understand, like, how this kind of came in, like how wokeism came in like a Trojan horse and really invaded the church. And so um, I in, in Woke Jesus, I really set out to write, you know, what I would call, um, you know, if I can humbly, a definitive guide to understanding wokeism, its ramifications on the church the historical background starting the 1700s kind of working you know your way forward uh and then the modern implications and ultimately what can we do about it and so i really think that there's a roadmap in this book to uh to find some solutions to help talk people that are maybe on the on the edge of of uh this doctrinal cliff that they they're they're flirting with a lot of these progressive ideas because they seem to be you know solution oriented hands and feet type of things but they don't realize the 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 sort of undergrowth that's there this marxist substructure and and i really wrote this to to you know give people a tool to help individuals or to help themselves kind of navigate this from a from a historical christian standpoint of what's really true and what's really false and really who is the true jesus is, is he this woke jesus mm -hmm. this barefoot hippie guy that you know welcomes you know the illegal immigrants and doesn't care about your sexuality or is it this this staunch you know religious zealot figure that maybe some people present or is the biblical Christ somebody else? And I believe that that's really the um, the, the crux of the book is getting to this, this realization of the true Jesus, one who comes in both grace and truth and holds both of those things in his hands. Wow, that's a great uh, overview and great description of what Woke Jesus is all about. This brand new book by Lucas Miles is up at thebottomlineshow.com. And you really got my attention, Lucas, just now when you were talking about the fact that this isn't a new phenomenon. This isn't something that's been just happening in the last 10, 20, or 30 years, that this the, the roots of wokeism, especially infiltrating the church, it really goes back a couple hundred years. I mean, can you maybe paint a, a picture with a, a a quick threading of you know sure. where we were to where we are? Yeah, obviously we could do a deep dive and 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 spend a lot more time on this. But you know, um, first off, heresy is not a new thing. Heresy right. has existed really since you know we see in the New Testament. We see the Judaizers. Uh, we see you know kind mm -hmm. of later references, although they're not called by name in the New Testament, but this Gnostic ideology that was coming on the scene. 
Uh, of course, in the early church, we see all sorts of heresies that they had to combat and thinkers like Justin Martyr and Jerome and Origen and, and later Augustine all had to tackle. Um, today, what we're seeing, uh, and, and if I if I back up to kind of the 1700s, there was a movement that that greatly shaped where we are. And it was known as the historical Jesus or the quest for the historical Jesus, basically coming out of the Enlightenment. Um, you know, all of a sudden, all of these myths and fables and superstitions of humanity were being challenged. Uh, and and that caused a very critical look at the New Testament specifically. And, and it, people began to say, look, wait a minute, this almost seems too good to be true. We know Jesus was a real person. He was a historical figure. Right. But this walking on water and this miracles and the feeding of the 5,000, the resurrection from the dead, that all seems a little far-fetched. Hmm. And so there was a quest to try to push past the miraculous elements of the New Testament because with the birth of the scientific method and you later in the 1800s, you have Darwin and, you know, you have kind of this hundred years of sort of scientific, you know, explosion, uh, increase of, you know, rational thought and reason and, and logic in these things. And, and the, the um, spectacular nature to the Christian gospel seem too good to be true, which of course it is. That's why it's the gospel, um, because it seems almost too good to be true. Indeed, but they got away from the inerrancy of the word. They got away from taking the Bible for you know uh, face value, and they began to kind of try to justify these stories, really fabricating them out of nothing, uh, trying to say, well, what if maybe Jesus was just floating on a raft? Maybe Jesus had a group of guys baking bread in a cave, handing it out, and that's how he fed the 5,000. Just nobody saw them. And so this myth kind of rose up. It's all these, you know, kind of elaborate tales that they, the the uh, the fabrications are more complex than the actual miracle, you know, to get there. It, it kind of goes with the, usually the simplest answer is usually the one that's true. And and But this led to kind of a revisionist history of Christ that is still impactful today. It, it evolved, got more and more academic as it went, but this is really what's behind what's known as critical theology, mm. and and this uh, uh, this push to kind of see Jesus as this great social justice warrior rather than the savior of the world, and uh, it's it's been a, vi a big detriment to the church. It's led a lot of people astray. That's not the only issue that later gave birth to you know liberation theology and black liberation theology, which led to you know things like setting up a stage for critical race theory and you know the social gospel and all of this. But uh, but all of that combines to really bring us in this this sort of crisis of faith that we find ourselves in today as Americans and as American public, and uh, and ultimately it's invaded the church and and really done a lot of damage. Lucas Miles is my guest today here on the bottom line. The book is called Woke Jesus: The False Messiah Destroying Christianity. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. You know, Lucas, the the, the one thing that I, I I saw the thread that was kind of weaving through as you took us on that really comprehensive and I appreciated that that kind of deep dive, but kind of pithy look at what's happened over the past 300 years in this country, especially as it pertains to Christianity here in the United States and the move leftward or a little more woke. I appreciate the fact that everything that seemed to be, you know, driving this was a quote unquote search for truth and a compassion for people who are less fortunate or being misappropriated, yeah. that type of thing. And it's interesting, the pivot shifts just ever so slightly toward the left. And all of a sudden, people just find a little bit more uh, acceptance, if you will, you know, for the, the types of things you're talking about. How much of this is personality driven? How much of this is you think is truly demonic? So I think that there are good-natured people at times that um, 
they might be struggling with some doubt about about certain aspects of the word or about mm-hmm. their faith journey and and they're looking for rational conclusions to be able to come to um and 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 i think there's a lot of times where people they try to use the church is sort of this halfway house, I call it, of where they yeah. have one foot in in maybe carnality of the world and one foot in spirituality. And that's really what progressive Christianity allows for. You can still keep kind of all of your desires and your your the things that are driving you and the lust of the flesh, because those things can be accepted there. Um, but you also still have this spirituality. We do, you know, we have certain forms and certain, you know, processes of our faith and certain rituals that we follow, you know, that, that still make us feel connected to this higher being. And there's a lot of deception there. I do believe though, that, that, you know, what's really driving the, the, um, the major movement that we're seeing here is demonic. I mean, this is, you know, you, I mean, and it plays over in everything, even what we're seeing right now in Israel, um, you know, where you have people that are literally acting as apologists, for Hamas and their actions, because they're applying this sort of oppressor versus oppressed, you know, right. Marxist kind of theory and substructure there. This is this isn't normal. It's not normal for somebody to see these things and see, you know, brutalities like this and try to defend them. Uh, and so I, it's not normal for people to see all the 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 kind of divergent sexual, you know, expressions that we've seen paraded around in 2023, especially literally. Yeah. And and yeah, literally. And um, uh and 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 try to find ways to justify that, especially and then and then still say that this is Christian. So this is this is a deception. This is a doctrine of demons. You know, at the end of the day, it does have an intellectual component, an academic component that we have to be able to understand. You know, it's easy just to say wokeism bad, Marxism bad, socialism bad. Right. But but I think that's why the church has struggled. You know, the um and I quote at the start of the book, uh, Irenaeus, who's an early church father. He wrote a book called Against Heresies, trying to break down the Gnostic um, uh, deception that was happening in the the second century church. And he said the reason why the first century church wasn't able to defeat Gnosticism is because they didn't understand it fully. And Hmm. I present the same thing. The reason why the church has not been able to defeat wokeism is because we didn't understand it. The reason why we couldn't defeat Marxism is because we didn't understand it. So I really wanted to put this out as a way to help the church understand these deceptions that exist and then equip them to be able to do something about it and ultimately present the true gospel, which I believe is the only real solution for injustice in the world. Amen. And it actually doesn't just uh, uh, claim to be against injustice. It actually demonstrates that, you know, through the life and testimony and, of course, victory that we have in Christ. Yeah, think about it. I mean, the gospel message is all about justice. And yet we don't think of it in those terms because yeah. it's like, well, I, I certainly I don't need that kind of justice. But this people group does. This is yes. great stuff. Lucas yeah. Miles is with me today here on The Bottom Line. Brand new book is called Woke Jesus, The False Messiah Destroying Christianity. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. More of this conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Lucas Miles is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Always great to have time with Lucas uh, to have a conversation. But of course, if you're watching us on My Hope Now, you see this very handsome man with a great book cover behind him. Woke Jesus is the name of his latest book. It's called uh, the subtitle, The False Messiah Destroying Christianity. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. In the opening segment, Lucas, we talked about the philosophy behind what's going on here. And I loved what you said in terms of how the way you present this in the opening up in the book by describing the fact that the reason the church didn't, I mean, the the Gnostic uh, 
delusion, if you will, of the yeah. church in the first and second century. The idea that, you know, you could worship God in spirit, but you know, that 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 physical part, you know, that's not going to happen. Or the the Judaizers got to shudder to think how many guys were, you know, going under the knife because they weren't quote unquote Christian enough or Jewish enough for those guys. But that that's, you know, misinterpretation. You know, Paul corrected some of that with his right. epistles. But here we are now, and you've kind of written an epistle, if you will, to the Western church to say, hey, look, it's here. And there's some things that have been taken out of context or things that are just flat out evil in terms of wokeism, political correctness, et cetera, et cetera. What is a pastor to do when they are faced with some of the challenges that are in the culture right now that are gaining popularity? You know, I appreciate this question because I think that, you know, uh, the, it is important that we understand the history. It's important that we understand the, the, the philosophy of these, these false beliefs so that we can actually tackle them uh, and help people navigate their way through them. But at the end of the day, I think that, you know, really there's a lot of people around this nation and in churches across this country that are looking for a practical solution. And so one of the things that we've done is we've actually launched an initiative of our ministry called uh, AmericanPastorProject.org. So if they go to the website, AmericanPastorProject.org, and Roger, this would actually apply to you too. We define pastor very broadly, um, and anybody that has a Christian radio show, who's a podcaster, who's you know writing Sunday school curriculum, maybe they're a traveling worship leader, they, they serve in kids' church or an elder at a church, anybody touching Christian doctrine in any way, we want to drive them to this, to have them to, to join really with us inside awesome. of this. And so this, it, what it starts with is a commitment at AmericanPastorProject.org where they sign a statement of really adhering to what we would call biblical orthodoxy, essentially a historic view of Christianity. Uh, it, it's in line with the Nicene Creed or Apostles' Creed or something like that. And with that, there's also an agreement to take a stand against wokeism, globalism, socialism, Marxism, you know, all of the LGBT movement, uh, um, you know, all these, you know, false, you know, kind of ideologies that are being presented, you know, critical um, uh, environmental theory and these things, critical climate theory. And, and really, we're trying to have people make a commitment that they are going to keep their pulpits pure from these false beliefs. They're going to take a stand against these things from the stage or from their digital platform or whatever it is that they're operating from. And uh, they're signing the statement. That's where they start. We have monthly conference calls. We're bringing thought leaders to be able to share with them. Uh, we're working on some other partnerships with uh, uh, groups like Liberty University, their Freedom Center, uh, My Good. Faith Votes. We're also in conversation right now with uh, Turning Point Faith, looking for ways that we can team up together. And so, you know, this is it's just really cool to see Christian organizations coming alongside together uh, to really protect the church, to protect the doctrine and, and the ministries right now. And look, we have secondary differences. There are people that from all different denominations that have signed this statement, and there's things that they see differently that are secondary issues. But what's not a secondary issue is the lordship of Jesus. What's not Amen. a secondary issue is what is truth. Is the Bible the word of God? Is God the creator? You know, heaven and hell, the depravity of man, you know, the, the grace of God. None of these things are secondary. These are primary doctrines that the church has held to historically for 2,000 years. We're calling pastors and church leaders and Christian thought leaders around the nation to reaffirm this. We already have about 500 plus signers. Uh, for this statement. So it's been really uh, received very well so far. We're only, we just only launched it here recently in the last few months. So we're expecting to see this really explode. And so just invite any of your audience to go there. And if you're not a pastor and you're listening, what I would say is take this to your pastor. There you go. If you want to know if you're at a woke church or not, 
take this to your pastor and see if they'll put their name next to a statement uh, yep. that that really you know condemns you know things like abortion and condemns uh, things like the 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 trans movement and all of this and not in a way that's judgmental and hateful in these things but in a way that stands upon the word of God that look we can love the sinner and hate the sin simultaneously and we can teach the full counsel of the word of God both in grace and truth and reject this false expression of wokeism that we see today. Well, I'll make sure I sign this up as soon as we finish our conversation here, for sure, Lucas. Uh, Lucas Miles, my guest today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called Woke Jesus, The False Messiah Destroying Christianity. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. When it gets right down to it, Lucas, it really is about proper delineation between law and gospel, as my Lutheran friends yeah. would say. It's been about understanding the gospel. And I think what you may have uncovered, too, I mean, not to say this is just a, they are the problem and those woke people are, are really a problem. It really does speak to the biblical illiteracy that we see in the church about people who don't fully understand what the gospel is and how to live it out. Talk about how this this project of yours, I mean, from the Christian left to now the new book, Woke Jesus, really is kind of a wake-up call for us in the church to say, hey, pastors, let's make sure we're preaching this and that we yeah. really are making disciples here. Talk about that. So, you know, this this is uh, maybe going to be a roundabout way of answering your question, Roger, but there's something there's a uh, uh, something I've been thinking about a lot. I, I call it the crisis at the border, but what I mean is the crisis at the border of our churches, mm. because what's happening is there is an influx of spiritual refugees who are leaving woke ministries and they're coming into the church. Now, mm -hmm. the interesting thing is they were at these other churches that were already progressive in nature. They didn't wake up and turn progressive overnight in most cases. Right. Right. They were already progressive leaning, but eventually they got to a point where they crossed some sort of moral line or spiritual line for these attendees. And so they have left those places looking for people that still teach the word of God. But the thing that I think that pastors have to really recognize in this is that not everybody crossing the border of your church, although we can welcome them with open arms in this way as spiritual refugees looking for a home, uh, we have to make sure that we take time to really assimilate them to the gospel. Because what's interesting is for you or I, who are going to hold to a historic view of Christianity, we wouldn't have been in that church to start with, or we would have left it right. a long time ago. Right. Um, but it had to get so bad for that person to leave, yeah. which means that their Christian worldview is, is slanted already. And so there's some work to do for pastors in this country. I would mm -hmm. encourage pastors, you know, like there's this temptation that, oh, I've already taught that before. No, you need to teach it again. You have to go back. You have to start laying foundational discipleship kind of material for your people, yes. starting at what does it mean to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you know, um, and and really go through that whole process of baptism and evangelism and and importance of staying in the Word and what is you know what is uh, uh, tithing and offering, what is you know being indwelled by the Holy Spirit mean, what is you know all of these things, so that we can not make sure that we that we take the time necessary because these are great people that are coming into our churches that have woken up a little bit but we have to help kind of reinforce that uh, um that that you know those those maybe uh, knowledge gaps that they might have or or bent perspectives that could be out there by the time that they spent in in these progressive churches before they realized that they were actually a progressive church that they were attending if that makes sense Yes, it absolutely does. And I love the way you talk about that knowledge gap, you know, because I think the tendency in the fight or flight world of social media is I'm right, you're wrong. So therefore I have to prove you wrong and prove me right. And when someone comes in outside that that purview of what we recognize as biblical Christianity, we have to resist the temptation yeah. to, to point out all the wrong things about them and say, okay, wait a minute. I see now you have a knowledge gap. I The prayer I find myself praying more often than not is Jesus on the cross saying, Father, forgive them what they do because they're just so many people who've been led astray with just enough truth 
way too much grace. And then, oh, why are you being so mad at everyone? Yeah. Um, Lucas Miles, my guest today here on The Bottom Line, Woke Jesus, great title, great book, The False Messiah Destroying Christianity. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Lucas, 60 seconds left in our time together. Uh, what's your hope for not only this project, but where you're seeing, I mean, uh, it sounds like you're seeing some positive results with what you've been teaching. We are, Roger, things have been incredible, honestly. It's, you know, we're really in a stage right now where we are, we're building a team of people uh, to really take this out on a major national level. And so you know, if there's listeners out there that that you're inspired by the things you've heard me say, um, you know, we're looking to build a team. And so, um, you know, we have, there's opportunities for remote, there's opportunities for, uh, you know, pastors at different state levels to come on board and kind of help us build some coalitions. Uh, we're also hiring. And so, you know, I'm just going to say that, like, look, if there's somebody out there that this is, you know, uh, you are ready to make that step, you know, we want to connect with you, whether it's local churches that want to partner, whatever it is, uh, look, it's going to take all of us working together to see this thing change and this and really to save the country and to save the church in America. And uh, I think that it's it's one of the most important, you know, fights of our generation, if not the most important fight of our generation, is to really, you know, protect the gospel here in America. It's not that God needs our help to defend him. Right. But, you know, look, we've seen nations that have fallen by the wayside in the past with Christianity, and we see beautiful churches in Europe that are empty on the inside where the gospel once was preached, and I don't want to see that happen here. Amen. And neither do I, and neither do our listeners, that's for sure. Lucas Miles, the book Woke Jesus, The False Messiah Destroying American Christianity. We've got that linked up at thebottomlineshow.com, along with the AmericanPastorProject.org. We've got that link up there. You can read that letter, and you can sign on as well. Lucas, I love the work that you're doing, brother. Thank you so much for staying true to that cause, and thanks for being with us today here on The Bottom Line. Thank you. Great conversation and a wonderful book. I mean, just a, a very helpful book. It's not a topic that we want to have to talk about, but because we do have the opportunity, we're grateful that we have a resource to discuss. Lucas Miles, the book is called Woke Jesus, The False Messiah Destroying Christianity. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Very ominous cover. <laughs> and uh, this one, actually, uh, we do have a copy that we're giving away right now. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, we're going to talk about why it is so important for us in the body of Christ to address and lovingly confront those who believe this more woke, progressive Jesus. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. You know the old expression, a picture is worth a thousand words? Well, if you're an expectant mom and you go to a pregnancy health center that is in partnership with Preborn, one picture can say way more than that. And that picture I'm talking about is an ultrasound picture. Every donation that goes to Preborn goes to providing ultrasounds for women who are expecting children and they want to know what all of their options are. When you call 833-850-BABY right now, you give a gift of $28 that provides one ultrasound. But if you give a gift toward the purchase of an ultrasound machine, now that's a $15,000 investment, but every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts a minimum of 10 years. That's 2,500 ultrasounds available to women right now. Think of all the babies, thousands of babies' lives that will be saved by your donation to preborn right now. Call 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Make your best donation right now. $50, $100. Maybe you want to give $15,000. It's completely tax deductible. We've had a couple of bottom line listeners step up and do just that. 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn right now. 
My thanks again to pastor and author Lucas Miles for joining me today here on The Bottom Line. His brand new book is called Woke Jesus, The False Messiah Destroying Christianity. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com and we're giving away a copy of the book right now. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. It's amazing how many people are using the name of Jesus to kind of deify, if you will, um, their ideas of what life should be like. And nothing fascinates me more than watching this unfold right before our very eyes and realizing that we have a role to play in speaking truth to that power. There are many people in the United States right now who are Bible-believing, God-fearing, Christianity-confessing Christians who will look at scripture and completely misinterpret it with regard to race or with regard to abortion or regard to homosexuality or things of that nature. And I understand, I mean, we in the body of Christ, I mean, Jesus' command for us is unity, John 13, 34, and 35. But there are so many different denominations, so many different flavors, if you will. How do we get this right? Um, One of the things I love about our flagship affiliate, KBRT, is we say that the call letters stand for KBRT, keeping it biblical, right, and true. We want to stay as biblical as we can, knowing that there are a lot of Bible teachers who aren't biblical. We understand too that being biblical doesn't always mean being popular. I mean, let's face it. I mean, in a culture right now, it's very vogue for people to deconstruct their faith and to be ex-evangelicals instead of evangelicals. But what I see that as is not so much, a, oh no, what's happening in the church? And why aren't people going to church? And what's happening to the American church? But rather to say, or maybe this is God shedding some unwanted pounds on the body of Christ. I mean, this is part of the sanctification and perfection of our faith. And it helps those of us who are staying true to the call to ask the question, why do these people think and believe what they think and believe? Are we missing something? But then we can always line it up with the uh, tenets of scripture and figure out whether or not we have the, uh, uh, the, the, the means and the desire and the need to do so. Uh, Lucas Miles, the book Woke Jesus is up at thebottomlineshow.com. We do have a copy we're giving away today at 800-227-5278. For those who remain on the network, we're going to take a look here on this Super Tuesday at uh, a fascinating study as how one of the guys who was involved allegedly in the January 6th trials um, is being smeared. And he's a man of faith, he's a man of integrity, and he's a man who's been a contributor to the Bottom Line Show for many years. We're going to take a look at the interesting case of John Eastman and why so many Democrats are trying to disbar him and criminalize challenges by the GOP to election results that look a little funky. We'll talk about that coming up next as the Bottom Line continues. Well, welcome to another Super Tuesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and it's interesting. uh, Welcome back or welcome to, depending on uh, what time you get a chance to listen in. The Bottom Line Show airs every weekday uh, from 3 to 4.30 p.m. Pacific time on our flagship affiliate, KBRT in Southern California, KBright AM 740, KBright AM 1240 in San Diego, FM 103.3 in National City, and 100.7 FM in Corona. Uh, KLDC in Denver also picks up all 90 minutes and then our friends at KLTT in Denver pick us up uh, they get a a 30 minute best of version every weekday afternoon from 2.30 to 3 local time 
And if you are listening on KLDC right now, thank you so much for uh, many people have made the switch from KLTT, half hour is great, to wanting to get the whole 90 minutes here. And of course, our Bay Area affiliate, KCBC, which covers all of Northern California and then 94.7, that's AM 770. And then 94.7 FM are uh, low power in, uh, in Modesto proper. Um, interesting uh, case study with regard to, you know, we've seen this happen over the past couple of weeks, whether it be Jenna Ellis or Cindy Powell or some of these other people who are involved in the election in 2020, and specifically Donald Trump's claims that the election was stolen from him. And I, we're a year away from uh, the 2024 presidential election as of today. Today's the first Tuesday in November. By the time we hit first Tuesday in November 2024, uh, we will have a clearer picture of what's going to happen with our nation. And uh, that will be tempered by something that's a big change in the landscape, especially for those of us who are conservatives who say, oh yeah, it's election day. I'm going to vote on election day. By the time you get there, you're going to find out that at least a third of the nation has already voted, either in person through early voting or they voted absentee. And here in the People's Republic of California, we have 21 million registered voters, almost 22 million, and more than half of us, it might be closer to two thirds, are registered as absentee voters. So one thing that we could do here in the body of Christ to be better citizens and render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, in this case, your vote. Uh, I know a lot of people think, oh yeah, render to Caesar means pay your taxes, but you have a civic obligation too. If you're eligible to vote and you're not registered, please get registered. If you are registered to vote, don't sit this out. There's nothing spiritually noble about being a Christian that says, well, I didn't vote for them or I didn't vote for Trump or I didn't vote for Biden. I just sat this one out. Why? We are here for such a time as this. Go back and read Esther and then come back and tell me why you're not voting. I mean, seriously, this is something that we in the body of Christ should be top notch at. I mean, I, I, I still remember the little Baptist church right down the street from where uh, I was living when my kids were young. And that was the place that was where we voted. I mean, I was an absentee guy, but I, if ever I, sometimes I'd walk it in to the polling place and church social hall is where people voted. And I love the idea that they got involved in the community. I would love to see more churches echo the sentiments of Pastor Jack Hibbs, Real Radio, which is on right after the Bottom Line show here in Southern California. But Pastor Jack, and he's got the Real Radio Network that have all sorts of really great broadcasts and podcasts on it. But Jack has been very, very active in encouraging Christians to say, hey, look, if you're in a state where ballot harvesting is legal, go do it. I mean, here's the thing. We're going to do it legally and ethically. We're not going to go to somebody's house, go rummage through their mail, pull a live ballot out. And I say live ballot, it sounds like it's live ammunition, right? But the live ballot is something that now is California law and most states are adopting it. I don't know if it's federal law or not. They use the cover of COVID. Oh, well, we want to make sure people don't die handling this stuff. So um, yeah, we'll mail you a ballot and you put it back in the mail and we'll make the postal workers touch what you were touching and spreading COVID all over the place. There was no risk. I mean, that whole watch out for if somebody touched the surface and then you touched the surface, that was, I mean, that was probably one of the most egregious health-centered lies since don't use the restroom when HIV showed up because, uh, well, you never know. I mean, you might get it from sitting on a toilet seat. I mean, <laughs> that's kind of where we are. Um, here's, the, uh, here, here's the rub, though, of, of where we are today. The 
the situation that we're facing here in the 2024 election still has the remnant, the bad taste in the mouth of American voters of what happened not only in the 2020 election, November 3rd, 2020, but also with the January 6th, 2021 date. That's the day that the election was to have been certified in both the House and the Senate. And the uh, the president of the Senate, uh, then Vice President Mike Pence, had the obligation to hear the counts and certify the election. There were certain things that Vice President Pence could have done in the days leading up to um, th- that certification. Um, the states could have done taken some actions to where you know Vice President Pence uh, could have said, "I'm going to wait." Basically, what would happen is you would you could delay counting electoral votes um, to give swing states uh, the opportunity to determine whether or not the Biden electors should be certified. In other words, a state like Pennsylvania that has a tendency to run a little red uh, wound up going blue. And you have to ask the question, well, are the, all the electors who are you know, certifying the votes, you know, the president is actually voted in in the Electoral College. And so that, then that was designed because you've got members of the House of Representatives uh, based on population, a proportion of the population of the state. Then every state has two senators. You put all those votes together, and that's who actually determines who the president is. That's why the, the magic number of 270 electoral votes is a direct reflection on the fact that uh, if you're halfway through it, once you, you've got 535 votes between the House and the Senate, and uh, split that right down the middle, and that's where you land. So the 270 magic number is based on electors and uh, the electors from different states that are appointed by state legislatures that are certifying that their counts in their states are accurate. So a guy by the name of uh, Tom Klingenstein, who was an attorney and a writer with, uh, I'm taking this article from TomKlingenstein.com. The Federalist published this a couple of weeks ago. The State Bar of California is attempting to disbar John Eastman. Um, of course, the reason why they want to do this is they want to further intimidate um, those who would seek to uh, put Donald Trump on the ballot for next year's election. Now, it's not uncommon for attorneys to be censured. Uh, Jenna Ellis was practicing law in Colorado before she moved to Florida, and the Colorado uh, bar actually censured her for 10 different counts of her lying. And, you know, when you look back on the way the election results were tabulated and the way everything has shaken down, even in the election, uh, there were some things that the Giuliani Ellis team did with regard to meeting with state senators when they shouldn't have and and uh, making out accusations and allegations in the media about things that weren't there. And it was kind of uncharted territory in the sense that every party who loses will say, that's not a fair election. I mean, when Hillary Clinton didn't win, you know, all sorts of pundits, this is not my president, this is not my country, I don't know what's happening here. When George W. Bush beat Al Gore, there were all sorts of Democrat pundits saying, this election was stolen from the American people by the Supreme Court. It wasn't. I mean, the counts and the recounts and the recounts had been going on in Florida, and all the state and all the U.S. Supreme Court said was stop the recount. They didn't award the election to George W. Bush. They just said, you guys have done too many recounts. There's a big difference legally. And the fact that by the narrowest of margins, George W. Bush won the vote in Florida, which gave him all those electoral votes, which gave him the White House. He did not have the overall national popular vote, but he did win in the Electoral College. Donald Trump had the same thing. Hillary Clinton had 66 million votes for her side, and Donald Trump had 63.5 million. But 
in those swing states like Ohio and Pennsylvania and things like that. He had just enough votes and just enough counties went his way to win. There are approximately 3,000 counties in the United States, and Hillary Clinton won 60 of them. Donald Trump won all the others. Now, there are a lot of small counties. She won all the big ticket counties. But they thought she had this nailed down. So now you've got the California Bar Association trying to disbar John Eastman simply because he advised then-President Trump that he, and he also advised then-Vice President Mike Pence that he had a way, he said, you could conceivably delay counting the electoral votes for seven to 10 days, gives you another week to figure out whether or not you're going to certify these electors on the state level. That's where it had to start. But uh, at the end of the day, Mike Pence, also an attorney, served in law practice for a good 10 years before he ran for Congress in his native state of Indiana. Uh, He said, no, I'm not going to hassle it. It's not, I mean, not that it's not worth the time and trouble, but rather there's not enough evidence for me to do this. And quite frankly, this should have started with the states back in on November 4th, 2020, the day after the election. And John Eastman told me as much here on this program uh, about a year after the election went down. So why is the disbarring of John Eastman of grave concern to us as American citizens? I'm going to read you this op-ed piece on the other side of this break, and you can decide. That's coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account, Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to the Super Tuesday edition of The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Uh, Bottom line, regular contributor John Eastman has been facing uh, all sorts of uh, legal challenges ever since the January 6th, 2021 event, which John was at. Uh, He's been on The Bottom Line show here discussing the the outline of what he proposed to then-President Trump as certain legal options that he had. And never once in our conversations did I get the sense that John Eastman wanted to overthrow the American government. He basically said, these are the options you have. And one of them did involve about seven states that were what we'd call swing states. You know, they're the ones who kind of swing the election one way or the other. And there were some questions as to whether or not some of the election laws had been tampered with. And it turns out they had been. Secretary of State did this in Pennsylvania. Attorney General did that. You know, certain things where they're not allowed to um, uh, actually enact laws that they did enact. I mean, Delaware, for example, President Biden's home state. Uh, passed a measure in the state legislature that would require uh, mail-in voting to become mandatory starting in 2021. Didn't have an impact on the presidential election in 2020, 
but that law was overturned by their state Supreme Court because that should have been voted on by the voters, not passed by the legislature. So you see how dicey it can get. And does it add up to enough electoral votes to change the election? That's another issue too. As much as I appreciate the Trump legal team for saying, hey, we've got some funny stuff here and there's 300 and something cases. There's a procedure that goes into it and then you have to ask the question, would it have impacted the outcome of the election? And not to say that you would not pursue legal action just because it didn't overturn the overall outcome. But as we mentioned in the opening segment here, when we looked at the uh, mayoral race in Bridgeport, Connecticut, there was enough evidence of voter fraud to where they threw out the primary results and said, okay, general elections today, you guys are going to have to figure it out that way. So John Eastman had a theory, of course, for delaying the electoral count. And according to attorney and author Tom Klingenstein, it's actually defensible and wholly appropriate for a lawyer who has an ethical obligation to defend his or her client zealously. Now he writes, after having his phone seized by the FBI, enduring harassment from the House Democrats J6 committee and getting indicted by a corrupt Fulton County District Attorney, constitutional scholar John Eastman has once again found himself the target of Democrats' crusade to weaponize the legal system against their political opponents. Over the past several weeks, prosecutors representing the State Bar of California, also known as SBC, have been working in state court to strip Eastman of his ability to practice law and effectively destroy his livelihood. In January of this year, the SBC announced it was charging Eastman for advising former President Donald Trump over the latter's legal challenges to the 2020 election results. The announcement came nearly a year after the agency revealed it had been, quote, investigating Eastman for potential violations of California law and ethics rules governing attorneys. Now, the Barr's investigation began a month after the state, uh, States United Dem Democracy Center, which is a leftist legal group, uh, that filed a bar complaint asking the FBC to investigate him over his conduct in the 2020 election. The SBC's ongoing trial against Eastman is just one facet of Democrats' weaponization of the legal system, Klingenstein writes. In July 2022, an organization known as the 65 Project also filed a complaint with the U.S. Supreme Court seeking Eastman's disbarment. Now, this is named after the 65 legal challenges filed by Trump and Republicans over the 2020 election results. The 65 Project was founded with the purpose of deterring, quote unquote, right wing legal talent from signing on for any future GOP efforts to overturn elections. Now, let that one sink in for just a moment. They founded this campaign to basically say we don't want Republicans ever challenging what's going on here. Really? So Democrats can challenge. Um, David Brock is an advisor for this uh, 65 project. Um, if you don't recognize his name, he's part of an organization called Media Matters for America. Now that sounds like a very good and kind and altruistic organization, but Media Matters for America is a leftist group that so-called fact checks conservative media outlets. They never go after their own. They only fact check. We wanna make sure Fox News isn't lying to you. What if CNN's lying to me? Well, they would never lie. What about NPR? They would never on the, the public radio. Basically, um, in an interview with Axios, which kind of goes one way or the other, they're a little more uh, uh, generic and straight down the middle than leaning one side or the other. But of late, they've published a lot of stuff that's been more left-leaning. Uh, in an interview, he talked about the 65 Project, and Brock made clear that their goal is, quote, not only to bring grievances in 
the bar complaints against conservative lawyers who signed on to the Republicans' 2020 election challenges, but also, and this is something that the left does so well, to shame them and make them toxic in their communities and firms. So again, it's all about the law until it's not, right? I mean, for for leftists, it's all about the public humility. I mean, or humiliation. Donald Trump now has an indictment on his permanent record. Donald Trump was in, he got perp walked. Oh, the mugshot. Oh, we embarrassed him. Uh, Who is that type of stuff important to? I mean, I'll be honest with you. As somebody who works in the media, the last thing I'm worried about is somebody bringing up, you know, some kind of accusation against me and making me look bad. We just want to tell the truth. Best we understand it based on biblical principles. So basically, if you have a Democrat victory and a Republican says that smells fishy to me, unlike Bridgeport, Connecticut, where there was a Democrat victory by the incumbent mayor and the challenger actually wound up having more actual votes and they could prove that there, there's the key, there was video surveillance. Bridgeport, Connecticut has very specific laws about ballot harvesting and the two women involved broke the law and the judge ruled as such. But the charges were filed by somebody who had standing in the case and they had actual evidence. The Donald Trump campaign basically went to the media. I'd never forget the uh, the Jenna Ellis uh, fiery uh, <laughs> blonde bombshell comments of we're going to fight this and we're going to win this and this, that, and the other thing. And comparing and contrasting to the audio we heard here a couple of weeks ago when she was entering her guilty plea in the Fulton County case where she said, if I knew now or if i knew then what i know now i never would have taken this position i would not have worked for donald trump i would not have gone public as the one who uh, is going to come to his defense now the sbc the uh, uh, state bar of california is charging john eastman with 11 counts of what they contend are examples of the former president's lawyer quote violating his obligations as an attorney Chief among the bar's allegation or claims that Eastman provided and engaged in litigation based on and issued remarks promoting allegations of election fraud that he knew or was grossly negligent in not knowing were false. The bar additionally alleged Eastman knew or was grossly negligent in not knowing his legal advice regarding the unilateral authority of the vice president to disregard or delay the counting of electoral votes and that was contrary to and unsupported by the historical record and established legal authority in precedent. They got 100 pages of these charges. Um, he is cited in the Fulton County Superior Court's refusal to appoint a judge to oversee Trump's Georgia lawsuit. Um, that is a violation of state law. He also mentioned that uh, then the, the Pennsylvania's then Democrat Secretary of State, Kathy Bachvar, Uh, unilaterally waived the state's signature verification process for mail-in ballots. Um, It's very interesting when you consider, I'm I'm laughing because here's what the the State Bar of California is accusing John Eastman of doing. And yet he told me here on this program, go back and look in the archives at thebottomlineshow.com, that the biggest challenge that he had in bringing these challenges on behalf of the president was the fact that when they would apply for, they had to have court hearings and this, that, the other thing. All the trial dates were scheduled for after the certification of the election. In something this large, don't you think? I mean, he he signed on in early December. He was battling COVID prior to that and couldn't handle. And in that month, he said, I'm getting dates of January 7th, January 10th. January. It was way down the road. 
But notice that, I mean, how about the Wisconsin Supreme Court, for example, ruled that the use of ballot drop boxes during the 2020 election violated Wisconsin law. You can't use a voting drop box in Wisconsin now because that was one of the challenges that the Trump administration had. In Pennsylvania, the idea that they waived the state's signature verification process for mail-in ballots. Not only was this a charge by the Trump administration, it was upheld by the, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania's Supreme Court, which, by the way, has an overwhelming majority of Democrat appointees on it. Those are just two examples. And then the, the idea that the Fulton County Superior Court would not appoint a judge to oversee the lawsuit uh, of Donald Trump against the state of Georgia. That's a violation of state law. Those are three examples, right? This is the stuff that the California uh, Bar Association is going after John Eastman for? I mean, seriously, you can get as angry as you want to. I'm tired of hearing Donald Trump stole the election, tired of hearing CNN, MSNBC say baseless charges. These are all valid charges that John Eastman brought to the court, and all of them have proven him right. Very interesting. Um, if you look at what happened in Georgia and you wonder why they're indicting John Eastman, another one of his challenges also came true in Georgia. And we're going to talk about that on the other side of this break. The bottom line continues. You know, I'll never forget the moment I met my grandson, Isaac. It actually wasn't in the delivery room. That was the first time I held him. But the first time I actually met Isaac was when I went with his mother to her ultrasound appointment. And the ultrasound technician showed us a picture of that eight-week-old baby in the womb. Uh, you know, I encourage you to contact Preborn right now and make a donation to provide that same experience for another family. Maybe there's someone in your family who's expecting a child right now. They've had the ultrasound. You've seen the picture. You've heard the heartbeat. And you think, wow, how can I bless someone else. Studies show that 83% of the women who go to a preborn clinic and see that ultrasound either choose to become mothers and raise the children on their own or release the child for adoption. It cuts the risk of it cuts the rate of abortion dramatically. But your donations are necessary right now to get more ultrasound machines into preborn health clinics. Give a gift online when you go to kbrightradio.com and click the banner that says preborn. Cute little baby there wrapped up in a blanket. Or give a gift over the phone. 833-850-BABY, 833-850-BABY, that's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn, make a donation. Every ultrasound machine could do 250 ultrasounds per year, so give a gift right now. Welcome back to the Super Tuesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. We're doing an analysis, balance, and clarity segment here on uh, Bottom Line contributor John Eastman, who now is facing disbarment by the California uh, State Bar of California Association. And they've brought up uh, dozens of charges. There's a 100-page um, list of charges. And when they did the investigation, John Eastman came back with his own 100-page um, challenge back, saying, here's the deal. You're telling me that I, pro I promoted a false 2020 election irregularities, and yet... When we filed our first challenge in Fulton County Superior Court, the judge did not approve, uh, the court did not approve appointing a judge to oversee the lawsuit. That's a violation of state law. In Pennsylvania, when uh, then Secretary of State Kathy Bachvar, who was a Democrat, unilaterally, just on her own pen, 
uh, waived the state's signature verification process for mail-in ballots. And then there was a challenge and it went to the Democrat-controlled state Supreme Court. And guess who lost? Yeah, she did. And then there's Wisconsin with the illegal ballot boxes. There are no drop boxes in Wisconsin anymore because they were illegal in a violation of state law. Um, In Michigan, a state judge ruled in March 2021 that Democrat Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson violated state law when she sidestepped the Michigan legislature with, quote, unilateral orders on absentee voting. And then there was Georgia. I told you about this before the break. If you look at data from the U.S. Postal Service's National Change of Address database, there were more illegal votes in Georgia's 2020 election than Joe Biden's margin of victory. So again, tell me why Donald Trump's the bad guy for challenging the Georgia election results. Tell me why all of his legal analysts are are bailing out, doing plea deals, and will testify against him. It looks like he has enough evidence to win. But if John Eastman is disbarred, he can't represent him. It's a sinister game, brothers and sisters. And here's the thing, first and foremost, we should not be surprised that the enemy does not want real truth and justice to prevail. But we should not be dismayed that this is happening. We have brothers and sisters in places like Afghanistan and China and Russia and parts of Africa that are growing stronger and stronger in their faith every day. And you know what's bringing them to a stronger faith in Christ? The adversity that they're facing. Think about the uh, clown show that happened in Afghanistan in August of 2021 when the Biden administration unilaterally just pulled out, left all the weaponry, a couple billion dollars in resources, and of several hundred Americans. And yet the church in Afghanistan is thriving. Look at what's happening with Russia and Ukraine. I mean, people talk about that military battle and Gog and Magog, and is that going to be the end of the world? But the church there continues to flourish. I want to encourage us, especially as we get ready for Election Day 2024, and know that, yeah, there are people who are going to lie to you. People are going to tell you that things are worse than they are, that our democracy is at risk, and we really need to do everything we can to fight for our democracy. But please don't, keep, uh, don't lose sight of what the ultimate goal is. We are citizens of heaven first. That doesn't mean we give up our citizenship here or let communists and crazies just run right over us. I believe America was founded on biblical values, but we have an interesting way of how those biblical values have played out over the years. All of which to say, read your Bible, pray, vote, get involved, but remember, do it in the 1 Peter 3.15 style. Do so with gentleness and respect. Don't let the heat of the moment cause you to blow your witness because ultimately the truth will be revealed. That's good news and that's the bottom line.